it's 2015, I asked permission from our leadership to run a 5K on Sunday morning. Now, in, in clarification, it was in March, and it started over at the stadium. So it's like, you know, I can make it back before church ever starts. And, and even as slow as I was, I did it. And it turned out that day to be 16 degrees in the spring runoff. Anyway, um, it, it was cold, and I fell twice, and it hurt. But my wife along the way told me I was a crazy person and that people who run only should be running from bears. And then a couple of years ago, I think it's three or four years ago now, that the, the State Fair 5K was on Saturday, and I said, well, I'm going to go ahead and do that, even though ele elephants don't run very well. Well, she said, I think I'll try that too. And i like, wait, who are you? And today, she took second place in her age division. And uh, Jamie took first place in his, but I don't care. My wife took second place. That's good. So, so they're tired now, and uh, they need a nap. It's basically what that all comes down to. I would like to say that I did not run <laughs> a 5K this morning. I did buy new shoes yesterday because my feet hurt. <laughs> and that's pretty much why I don't run anymore. Um, here, here's where I'm, I'm going to use this as a segue. You ready? Because I bought new shoes because my feet hurt. It's a reminder to me that what we wear matters, okay? Now, not typically would you see in the old days the preacher come up on Sunday morning in anything less than a three-piece suit, usually without air conditioning, and uh, definitely not wearing sneakers. However, for the last about four, five, six months, that's what I've been wearing on Sunday mornings. Why? Because my feet hurt, Okay. So I thank you in that. I will also say that I always wear my newest sneakers um, So, uh, with that. But here's the deal, is that when you live a certain way and you want to do a certain thing and you want to be a certain way, you need the right equipment. Okay, And there gets to be a point, and, I, and I've heard this described and changed by a guy named Ed Stetzer, and it's not, he wasn't the originator of it, but he's the guy I heard from it, was... You don't change until the pain of staying the same is more than the pain of the change. You get where I'm coming from there with it. Now today, we're going to be in a short little book that we were in last week, and then we'll be, be, be uh, I doubt, in next week, because I was talking with Zach and Allison on Thursday when they were practicing. and said, I don't know if I can get three sermons out of this because the conclusion just doesn't have a lot to it. So today, we will look at the second half of Paul's letter, the only individual personal letter, not for the purposes of instruction in the church, but in relationship to how people were walking in their faith in Christ, the only personal letter that we have in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. And again, I can't help but wonder how many more of these existed in Paul's ministry. How many more letters were there where Paul admonished and encouraged people to live their faith in a certain way and to clothe themselves in a certain way in order that Christ might be glorified. Because we aren't saved simply for fire insurance. 
so that I know that that is a great concern of many when you talk to your family members. You want them to come in faith in Christ so that when they die, they will be in heaven and not hell. That is a legitimate concern and a worthwhile reason to tell somebody about their faith. But we are not saved here on earth simply to stay out of hell. We are saved in order to lead more people to Jesus so that they don't go there too. Or also. We are there, we are here still because Christ has work for us to do. Now we, the purpose in this letter is actually a conflict. There's a problem, and Paul's letters usually are addressing some kind of problem, but instead of some grand theological problem, he's dealing with a relationship issue. And basically, someone here has wronged someone else. Now, there's a matter of interpretation of who that might be, especially in today's culture and context with the language that they're using here. But the fact is, is that we are ultimately separated from our Savior because we are sinners. And we are ultimately united to Him and to one another because of what He has done for us on the cross. So this week, again, because it's such a lengthy book, I decided we'd read the whole thing. But I think context matters as well. We're going to read the entire letter of Paul to Philemon, and let's stand as we do that together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but out of your, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. 
At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits. Our Lord, this little letter offers us so much hope for restoration. Help us to realize what you have done for us between you and me, but also between each other. In Jesus' name. We're going to begin in verse 8 today. Last week we looked at Paul's compliment to Philemon for his trust in the Lord. He leads in, Paul's masterful in this, and it can almost come across as uh, manipulative, but it's not the way he presents it, I believe. He, he recognizes Philemon's love for the Lord. It is important to realize that even when you're in a disagreement with somebody else, that those individuals, that person, is, a, is made in the image of God, and Christ died for them because he loves them. And that's really what we see here, is that Philemon is one for whom Christ died, but also he is one who has placed his trust in Jesus Christ. All these names at the start, they could have been his family, that's Aphia and Archippus, could have been his daughter, or his son, and I'm sorry, messed it all up his wife and his son they could have been just people he knew they could have been co-laborers and fellow workers in the, the church in in Ephesus I'm sorry in Colossae, Colossae but we don't really know that for sure we just know that Paul recognizes their presence and Paul values them because God loves them we need to see that in the people around us even the people that drive us the most crazy and that person who pulled out in front of you at that stoplight this week, that those individuals, those people, that person is made in the image of God. And they have a purpose and a reason for being there. Now along the way in their story, they end up crossing paths with a third person. His name is Onesimus. It's kind of remarkable that, to me as I look at these names, they're very Greek names, but that we don't see these names used more because they they represent something great here. there are names that we see out of the new testament a lot even the page before i i know people named titus i don't know anybody named philemon or onesimus maybe they're just hard to say maybe they have a problem with s's i don't know uh, they, they don't want to say those things but here paul addresses his friend he says i am bold enough in christ to command you to do what is required. Paul knows his own authority. He knows he is an apostle. He is one who has been placed by God to start churches, to write letters, to teach doctrine, to tell people how they need to live their lives. But he could have said that at the very start. He neglected it. Did he call himself an apostle here? No, because he is reminding Philemon that he doesn't come to him as a person with authority but as a brother, as a friend in Christ. He's recognizing that relationship that they have together. I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what, re what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Now, before you get into that old man thing, it's believed 
or before as we get into that, is believe that Paul is about 60 years old. Now, some of you who may be in that range would say, I received that. But some of you would just call that person to be a kid. And I'm really starting to get to where I'm, I'm staring at 60. And not, I'm in my 40s, but I'm going, I thought about I, my 20s were further away than my 60s are. You know, you get that, that point where you re- start to realize that God leaves us on earth for a certain length of time to fulfill his purpose. Well, in their culture, once you got to 60, you called yourself old. It's just the way it was. And Paul was in prison. Likely in Rome, he could have been in Ephesus, but more than likely he was in Rome. And then Onesimus, when he fled Philemon, got out of Asia Minor and found himself all the way in Rome. Now, think about if you have done something wrong. You're not necessarily a follower of Jesus Christ at that point in time. But you basically would be a fugitive. Maybe you've watched a movie where this would be happening. What is the fugitive always paranoid about? Being recognized or being caught. Correct? Right? Well, here, Onesimus flees Philemon. It's likely that he took some of Philemon's possessions along the way. And remember, he's a, he's a bond servant. In Greek, it's the word doulos. And, and it's also commonly translated simply as a word that we draw offense to in our world today a slave but slavery was a different kind of institution in that day in the Roman Empire it's basically built on their economic class they were slaves for a purpose and for a reason and they were to be released after a certain length of time as well doesn't say that it was a good thing and as a matter of fact one of the underlying things that we don't see pop out in this story is that Paul is trying to tell Philemon, let this guy off the hook. Let him be a free man. And he's, it's kind of a secondary issue here, and it's not really what's happened. But what, what has happened here is that Onesimus has wronged Philemon desperately, terribly. And here he finds himself in Rome. He hears about this preacher named Paul. He goes and hears him. And he gets saved. He becomes a Christian. He learns the Word of God. And as they go through this, and as they learn things, Paul learns some things about Onesimus. He says, where are you from, bud? This is me speculating, by the way. I'm from Colossae. Hey, I know a guy in Colossae. You ever know a guy named, a kind of well-to-do fellow? He's a lovely guy. His name's Philemon. Silence. Imagine that first conversation between Paul and Onesimus about where he came from. We in our lives cannot change where we came from. We can't. We are who we are now because of the experiences that we have endured to this place in our lives. And his place at that moment was an escaped slave in a city where he thought he could just slip into the woodwork. But guess what? God had a greater plan. Onesimus comes to faith in Christ. Paul sends him back to Philemon. 
there's great affection between Paul and Philemon. I don't know whether you caught that here, but Paul really holds this guy in high regard. He thinks very strongly and very highly of his friend. He understands and knows his character. He knows his, his wealth. He knows his graciousness. He knows all these things about Philemon and however they came across each other in the past. And now, because he understands restoration, sends Onesimus back to account for his wrongdoings. Now, it's not like he can go and get on the airplane and fly from Rome International to Colossae Regional Airport, right? No, Paul writes this letter, and who knows what else he wrote along the way, and he says, Onesimus, you need to return to Philemon send you with this, and perhaps he had more letters with him on the way, because if you know where Colossae is, it's kind of in the middle of Asia Minor. He could have been carrying letters to other churches along the way, but ultimately he had this letter to hand to his master, not his former master, his master from his brother. And Paul is working to bring them into reconciliation together, not just him, not just, the, not just Onesimus to Philemon, but Paul is reminding Philemon that whatever he owes Paul, we don't know what it is. Paul's intentionally, I believe, vague here. But whatever he owes Paul is big. Onesimus, that name has meaning to it. We're going to come back to what I just said there. But we're going to come back to it here. It says, his name, it sounds like the word helpful in the Greek. And we find that Paul plays on that word here. Paul's a punny guy. I don't know whether you caught that. But he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful or helpful to you. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very part. part. I love this guy. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Paul knows his accountability, and he calls Onesimus to face up to the mistakes he has made. Whatever God has called us to, he has called us to be at peace with one another. And even before we come to faith in Christ, he wants us to recognize that we still need forgiveness and grace for some of our behavior before we came to Christ. The choices and the, and the discipline that we face in this world is just that. It's in this world, and we're still going to have to face those consequences. I would dare say that there are physical consequences that you face that are generally unrelated to your faith. Right? It's just the way it is on earth. We're sinners. We, we deal with the consequence of sin. But Paul reminds Onesimus of what he did before, and he says, you need to be at peace with your brother, Philemon. You have wronged him. I preferred to do nothing without your consent, verse 14, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own, good, or own accord. For this is perhaps he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. So there's this temporary nature. Philemon lost Onesimus as a, as a slave. 
as a servant. But now he returns as a different person because all in Christ are a new creation. He has him back forever, no longer as a slave, a bondservant, but more than that, as a brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now imagine sitting in, again, this, on the other end of it now, as Onesimus has presented this letter from Paul to Philemon, the church that's meeting in his house, as they describe here, hears this together. Philemon has that very pointed, very specific message from Paul in the midst of his brotherhood. Oh, I think there'd be a little bit of squirming happening, right? Did you think about that? A little bit of accountability with that. But Paul says this, and this is really what Christ does for us all along the way on a much greater scale. He says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Now, Paul and Philemon, great friends. That's what we gather here from the verses 4 through 7, right? They love one another. If Paul showed up at Philemon's door, Philemon would be rejoicing. But instead of Paul showing up, it's this cotton-picking slave that ran away and stole his stuff and probably pilfered it. It's probably gone. Paul calls Philemon to receive this one as not a servant, but as a brother. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I'm writing this with my own hand. I'll repay it. Say nothing of you owing me your very life. I don't know exactly what that means, but it has the, the picture that Paul had left both Philemon and Onesimus to faith in Christ. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now we have this letter in the canon of the Bible, the Scriptures. He calls Philemon he calls us as the readers of this to verses 21 and 22. Verse 21. 22 is pretty specific. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have trusted him as your Savior, he's forgiven you more than you The scales are eternally tipped in your favor. We are forgiven. And that is an incredible gift. And we have all kinds of conflicts, all kinds of strife, all kinds of anger with one another in this world. And he calls us to to receive one another this same way. How then shall we live? Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians fits in this context, actually, because to believe that 
Philemon was in Colossae. But Colossians chapter 3, how do we live then in response to what Christ has done? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is the message that Paul calls Philemon to receive in response to, to Onesimus. Now, in Galatians chapter 3, and I might have mentioned this verse last week, I've, I've forgotten whether I did or not, but this uh, it fits in this whole picture here, because what we find is that everybody, no matter your class, no matter your race, no matter your income, no matter your past, comes to Christ the same way. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That is going to continue to come into our, our picture of, of what Christ has done for us. Slavery is bad. I'm thankful it's not, it, it doesn't exist like it did in the mid-1800s in our country. It did. Our country shed a lot of blood because of it. Today, we find ourselves as slaves to all kinds of different things. Owned by our own debt. We work to try to get out of that. Ultimately, we are slaves to sin under the law. We cannot get out of this debt on our own. Onesimus could not release himself from his obligation to Philemon. But Philemon held the responsibility, held the opportunity to not just forgive this action, but to offer Onesimus his freedom. And it's believed, this is through tradition, this is not something we see in the scriptures, it's believed that Onesimus ultimately ends up being a, a leader in the early church. That he could have been, possibly been the bishop of Ephesus, if it's the same guy that they mention here. God has a plan for every one of us. No matter our class, no matter our income level, no matter what we've done in our past, he calls us to respond to his healing and to his truth and to his grace to walk in obedience to him. And really, what we talked about, and we're doing Baptism Sunday here in a couple of weeks, this fits into that picture because what we do is we take off what we once were. We allow Christ to, to cleanse us, and we have salvation. Paul says to Philemon, you could hold him into strict account, 
But I ask you, because of the grace you've received from the Lord, to offer that same grace to him. To offer that same forgiveness. Now, I would presume that there were some awkward moments following this. But I can think we can safely say that this turned out well. Why? Well, what did we just read? It's there in our scriptures. The practical response to what Jesus Christ has done for us is to offer that same grace to one another. No matter what's happened, no matter what we think should be a way, we can't change the past. But God changes our hearts, which changes what's to come. I need grace. I need forgiveness. You need it as well. Where are we going to get it? Except from one another, through Christ. Let's live in a way that blesses the Lord. Let's not embrace sin. Let's not say that it's okay to do things that God clearly calls bad. let's hold each other accountable to love one another and to walk into holiness. Trust Christ. Lord, you're good. And I am so thankful for that.